Colossians chapter 1 and from verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Well, it's very good to be here and uh, to be together as beach teams. I hope you've already been able to get to know one or two of the uh, new people that you've not met before, maybe linked up with some of your teams already. Well, the theme of our conference uh, that uh, we have over this weekend is one life to live for Christ. One life to live for Christ. And what we're going to begin with is created for Christ. But let me start with a question that you might sometimes hear on the beach. Why are we here? Now, I'm sure you can tell us why you're here uh, at this conference, but a little bit deeper. Why are we here? What's our purpose in this world? Now, of course, some people would say the question is ludicrous. There is no purpose. Richard Dawkins, who we've heard about just a moment ago, he says that we're just a collection of atoms and molecules, survival machines, robot vehicles, blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. Or Dr. Peter Atkins at Oxford University, who says that the human race must realise how insignificant it really is. We are just a bit of slime on a planet belonging to one sun. Well, it's no wonder, is it, when people teach those kind of things that life seems meaningless. Well, there are those who raise the bar a little bit higher. 
that great uh, authority, that great man of wisdom, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he says that the meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. He's saying that the purpose of life is to make our mark, to achieve our moment of fame, whether that's on stage or screen or in the world of business. Well, others would see the world just as a world to enjoy its experiences. Others say that it's to immerse ourselves in technology, entertainment and pleasure. But this evening I want us to see that the purpose of life is far more noble, far higher. A much greater compelling calling is going to be laid upon us over this weekend. Turn with me to Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, if you've got a Bible with you. Because here we find what, what is probably one of the most amazing, concentrated descriptions of Jesus Christ that we have in the entire Bible. And in these few verses, Paul tells us 15 mind-blowing truths about Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 14, First, in him we are set free and our sins are forgiven. Second, Jesus Christ makes the invisible God visible. Thirdly, Jesus is supreme over all creation. Fourthly, by him absolutely everything in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, every spiritual power, every authority was created by him. Fifthly, all things were created through him. Sixthly, all things were created for him. Seventh, he existed before anything else. Eighth, he holds everything together. Ninth, he's the head of the church. Tenth, he's the beginning. Eleventh, he's the first one to rise from the dead. Twelfth, he towers over everything else. Thirteen, in him God, in all his fullness, dwells. Fourteen, in him a broken universe is put back together. Fifteen, by his death and his shed blood, there is peace for a broken world. What a description of our Saviour! What a description we have there of our amazing, wonderful Saviour! But at the heart of this glorious description, there's one little phrase that I want us to focus on. It's there in verse 16. All things were created by him and for him. And what Paul is telling us here is that Jesus Christ has been placed at the very centre of everything and he's therefore worthy of our adoration and our total allegiance. We were created by Christ and for him. We were created by Christ. I've just got two headings for you to think about this evening. I thought it was a bit late in the day, so two is easy for you to remember. The first one is created by Christ. The second one is created for Christ. You can remember that, can't you? John 1, verses 2 and, and verse 10, tell us that Christ was there at the beginning with God and that everything was made through him. Not only that, but everything exists for him. That means that every creature, the smallest creature to the greatest star, the deepest ocean to the highest mountain, exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. That means that you and I were created for the glory of Christ. We exist to make Jesus look great. 
to display his magnificent glory. The pinnacle of creation wasn't the earth with its incomparable beauty or the spectacular universe with its myriad of of plants and animals. The climax of God's creation was man. Men and women created in God's image, created to give him glory and to relate to him. And only human beings have that God-likeness. We alone were created to reflect him, to relate to him, and to represent him like no other creature that God created. And here in Colossians, we're presented with this amazing truth that from the very beginning, God's plan and destiny for our lives is that we might be like his son, Jesus. You and I were planned for God's pleasure. We were formed for God's family. And we were created for nothing less than to be like Jesus. That is one high calling. And that means that our ultimate goal and our highest purpose in life is not our comfort. It's not to be as prosperous as possible or to be as happy as possible but to live in a way that glorifies and honours Jesus Christ. But of course this raises a question, doesn't it? If this is the case, why is it? What's gone wrong? Why is it that the world created by Christ and for Christ is full of people ignoring him? Why is it that you and I, created for this Jesus, so often live for ourselves? Well, to find the answer, we have to go back to the beginning, don't we? And there we find that the world was spoiled. God's image in us has been spoiled. When Adam sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, the image of God was corrupted in him. And all who followed Adam are the same. Sin spoils God's image. It doesn't destroy that image completely, but it distorts it, it twists it. So we no longer live for God's pleasure, but for ourselves. We no longer live as God's family, but we cut our own course. Rather than be like Jesus and reflect that image of God, it becomes increasingly marred. You see, sin is a contradiction of everything that God is. So when we tell lies, when we tell lies, we don't reflect God, but the devil, who's the father of lies. When people murder, they, unlike God who gives life, they take life and they attack God's image. Sin distorts our judgment. It hinders our relationship with God and it it causes us not to be able to think straight. And it spoils our relationship with others. And if God is going to restore creation then it, uh, so that it reflects him as it should, then God has got to restore humankind so that we can represent him properly, so that we can relate to him perfectly, so that we can know him as we should. And that all becomes possible through Jesus Christ. And this is the great news of the gospel that God set about on a rescue operation. We read in Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
But by his death, Jesus doesn't simply provide the forgiveness of sins. That's wonderful as it is. But he takes the lives of broken, damaged sinners and he begins a work of restoration. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And it happens as we respond to God's call. As we respond to his invitation, as we turn from sin, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ and follow him, God begins a work of transformation by his Holy Spirit that we become new creatures. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. That well-known verse that we teach the children on the beach. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so, it's very appropriate at this point, I don't know all of you here, but to ask, have you been made a new creation? Have you turned from your sin? Just because you're here on a beach mission conference doesn't mean that you are a Christian. Have you turned to Jesus Christ? Have you turned away from your sin? Have you welcomed this wonderful Saviour into your life? Well, if not, let me urge you to make this weekend that turning point. Turn to Jesus Christ. Cry out to him. God's in the business of restoration. There was an angry man one day walked into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome and he was brandishing a hammer and he walked right up to one of Michelangelo's statues and he smashed it repeatedly with the hammer. Now, I don't know about the officials in that, um, in, in uh, uh, St. Peter's Cathedral, what they thought to themselves as they watched that terrible thing happening, but one thing I know they didn't do was pick up the statue and say, it's ruined, might as well chuck it in the bin. No, they got the, rest, the restorers to work. They set to work, they spent hours and days and weeks and months restoring it. And you know, God is in the work of restoration. Rebuilding his image in our lives so that we are more and more like Jesus Christ. And what we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, is that this means becoming more like Jesus. Or Corinthians 2 Corinthians 3.18, to be progressively transformed into Christ's likeness with ever-increasing glory. So why did God save us? Why did he rescue us from our sins? The purpose is not simply that our sins might be forgiven, but that we might become more like Christ. As Paul says to the believers in Colossians 3, do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its old practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Why should I speak truthfully? Because by doing so, I'm becoming more like the God who is truth, in whose image God is recreating me. God has committed himself to that work of restoration. He who has begun a good work will bring it to completion. Do you ever wonder why it's taking so long? I do. I often ask that, God, why is it taking so long? But one thing that encourages me is that one day God will complete the restoration project. And he will with you. One day we will be like Jesus. One day we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven, and that is Jesus. One day we will bear the image of the, invis- of the one who is like the invisible God. 
to understand that we are created by Christ and that we are a new creation cannot but transform our lives. To know that we belong to Jesus Christ and that as believers we will spend all eternity praising this amazing, wonderful Saviour that cannot but cause us to live differently. One day our lives will resound to God's glory, to the praise of Jesus Christ through all eternity and that gives us purpose and meaning for our lives. But then secondly... We are created for Christ. What does it mean that we are created for Christ? Well, three lessons I want to draw from this, from this passage. Firstly, we are created for a relationship with Christ. The Westminster Confession or Catechism says this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. We were created for Christ and that's why our greatest joy is found in a deepening relationship with him. A Christian isn't someone who's just accepted some truths about God. A Christian is someone who has come into a living, breathing relationship with the living God of heaven. Fullness of joy is found in knowing Christ, in growing in him, in delighting in him. Remember what King David said? In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Augustine's famous statement continues to be as true as it was when he first stated it. You, God, have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. We who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, we are joined to Christ in a living relationship. And we need to ask the question, if that is the case, what are we doing to grow and nurture that relationship? Are you spending time getting to know God? There are so many distractions today, aren't there? Mobile phones, texting, tweeting, blogging, Facebooking, everything. So many hours that can be spent, whiled away. But are we spending time building that relationship for which we were created? Are we spending time in the Word of God? Do you open your Bible in the morning and spend time with God? How often do you come to God in prayer and cry out to Him? How often do you spend time with your Saviour? We have to make time, don't we, to get to know him, to learn to rest on him, to rely on his limitless resources, because the more that we delight in Christ, the more passionate we will be in living for Christ. Well, not only are we created for a relationship with Christ, we are created to be like him. Ephesians 4, 22-24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. They say, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, But are we becoming like Jesus? God's ultimate goal for our lives is not our comfort, but our character development. 
He wants us to grow up spiritually. He wants us to become more mature in Christ. And you know, that doesn't mean that God wipes out your personality. God made you the way you are, but he wants you to become like Christ. To resemble Christ in our actions, in our passions, in our love, in our thinking. We tend to think, don't we, that the big issues of life are, what career should I choose? Who should I get married to? But we need to understand that God is far more interested in building Christ's character in each one of us. What God cares about more than anything else is that whatever we do, we do it in a Christ-like way, in a way that honours him. God cares passionately about every area of our lives, about the things that you watch on TV, what appears on your computer screen. God is concerned about what you look at on the internet, about the movies that you rent, about what you spend your time doing with your friends, about the relationships that you pursue, about the conversations that you have with your mates. Being a new creation in Christ will mean that some things have got to go. Stuff that belongs to the old life has to be taken off. For many people, what dominates their life is entertainment. And probably for many of us as well, entertainment forms a big part of our life. And you know, much of it is good and much of it is wholesome, but you know as well as I do that much of it is not. It's filled with godless attitudes and sensuality. And you know how movies and the internet can eat up vast amounts of time with shallow humour, bizarre talk shows and endless frivolity. Someone described Hollywood as a glitz-lined sewer service into our homes. And if we're going to be like Christ, how are we going to be like Christ if we feed this stuff into our lives? Being a Christian will mean removing the junk from our lives. We'll say, I am a new creation in Christ. These things do not belong to this life. My goal and my priority is to be like Christ. But you know, it's not just about getting rid of the junk. But it's about bringing in the character of Christ. God passionately wants us to become like Christ. He wants to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And God is committed to making us like Christ but he won't leave it up to He wants us involved. We have a part to play. And you know, if we're going to become like Christ, we must vigorously pursue these things. You know, today we talk a lot about chilling out, don't we? Now I'm too old to talk in those kind of things. My children laugh at me when I try and talk about those kind of things. But let me say this, that when it comes to being like Christ, don't chill out. We need to passionately pursue being like Christ. To give it all our energy. And we were finally created to live for Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, that word workmanship in Greek means a work of art, 
a masterpiece. In other words, Christians are God's masterpiece. He's the artist. And how does his artwork show itself? It shows itself in works of service, in good works. And God's ultimate plan and purpose in saving us wasn't simply to snatch us from judgment and condemnation. God's purpose was to recreate us in Christ and that will show itself in acts of service. God's workmanship saves and transforms self-centred, sinful human beings into men and women, young people, recreated in Christ to do good works. Works that God prepared from, from before the beginning of time. Do you realise that God's got plans for you and I that he had already made before this world was created? God had got a plan for you and for me even before this world came into being. Works of service that honour and please Christ. Not works that save us from eternal destruction, but that are the only appropriate response for a saviour who has done so much for us. You know, we live, don't we, in a very self-centred culture. Materialism, the pursuit of endless possessions, is so intrinsic to our way of thinking that we, we, we just accept it as part of life. Entertainment is so much part of what we do, we, we barely do anything unless we're entertained. But we fail to see how these things distort our attitudes and hinder our living for God's purposes. And if we're going to live for Christ, then we need to be countercultural. In other words, we need to walk against the flow. Otherwise, those powerful forces of the culture around us will squeeze us into the image of the world rather than into the image that Christ is planning for us. In his book, Sacrifice, Howard Guinness wrote this. He said, Where are those who will lose their lives for Christ's sake, flinging them away for love of him? Where are those who will live dangerously and recklessly in his service? And we might ask the question, but what motivates those, that reckless service? Well, first of all, it comes from seeing how great is the glory and the loveliness of Jesus Christ. It comes from a recognition that I belong 100% to Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. I've been bought at a price, at a great price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has a right to do with my life what he calls, what he decides. I'm created for him. And if we live as those created by and for Christ and commit ourselves to please him with all our heart, we will sense God's delight in us. There is tremendous joy that comes from living this life for Christ. To live for Christ is true life. And yes, at times it will be difficult. And yes, at times it will be thrilling. But to follow Christ is to put aside our small ambitions and to live the life for which we were created. Because this is life in all its fullness, this is the life for which we were created. And so let's live it by God's grace and by God's strength. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that 
we read in your word that you created us. You created us in your image to be like you. And yet, that image has been marred by sin. Father, we thank you that you didn't abandon us, but you sent Jesus Christ to be our rescuer and to restore the image in us. And that one day we will be like you, Lord Jesus. And we will spend eternity with you. And Father, we want to pray that we would live in the light of these great truths. That you would not just have part of our lives, not just a beach mission weekend like this one, but that you would have all that we are. Every thought, every passion, every ounce of our being. Because you are worthy. You are the Lord and Saviour. You are the Creator. You are God. And you are worthy of our worship. And so, Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' Jesus' name we pray. Amen.